I'm in Isaiah chapter 40 this week. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there for this Christmas season as we reflect on um, a few different things this Christmas season. I want to talk with you today about comfort. Um, I don't think any of you were there in 1742. But in Dublin, there premiered a piece of music that most of us are now familiar with. Handel's Messiah was sung for the first time. It is still sung. Some of you have heard it. Some of you have sung it. We'll not be doing the hallelujah chorus this morning that I'm aware of. But Handel's Messiah has three movements. The first one is the prophecy of Christ. The second one is the passion of Christ, and the third one is the promise of eternal life through Christ. But today, the theme that I'm on is the same theme that Handel began with, and it is comfort, comfort ye my people. Isaiah is known as perhaps the greatest Old Testament prophet there was. A prophet was the mouthpiece for God. A prophet was the spokesman for God who would enter into a particular realm. For us, it is the nation of Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms. And the prophet would declare, thus saith the Lord. And Isaiah is considered the greatest. We know some of what he said because he's quoted 65 times in the New Testament. In fact, some Old Testament scholars who give their life to studying the Old Testament call it not the prophecy of Isaiah, but the gospel according to Isaiah because in Isaiah's prophecy, we get a full description of Jesus who was to come. Isaiah chapter 40, just for those of you that aren't familiar with Isaiah, and most of us are not, I certainly am not as familiar as I should be, but Isaiah's prophecy was about destruction that would come, punishment that would come. Judah, the southern kingdom, had disobeyed God in so many ways, but when you come to Isaiah chapter 40, there is a shift from a prophecy of judgment to a promise of new life. Good news. God's deliverance. Edward Young said, if you're reading in Isaiah, you finish chapter 39 in the darkness of judgment, but in chapter 40, you move into the light of salvation. Isaiah chapter 40 begins a message of hope and comfort to the people of God. And really and truly, it gives us a reason to celebrate at Christmas. I want you to notice Three things with me today. First of all, the comfort of pardon. The comfort of pardon. If you have your Bibles in Isaiah 40, look with me at verses 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. If I had a beautiful tenor voice, I would sing it like Handel wrote it. Don't hold your breath. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak. Tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. 
A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 40, this word of encouragement and comfort, begins with that very word, comfort ye my people. You and I receive the message of comfort and we are told to then share the message of comfort. And even though God's people, the nation of Judah, would and had forsaken the Lord, it's a message to them that though disobedient, God would not forsake them. I'm reading the ESV today, and it says, speak tenderly. The word tenderly actually in Hebrew is the word heart. So what the prophecy says is, speak to the heart. It is a message that is meant to go to our hearts, not to our heads, to our hearts. And hear me, at Christmas, we need to open our hearts to The Christmas message. We're all guilty, one degree or another, of getting so busy and good things we could miss the best thing at Christmas. I'm not anti-party. I'm not anti-gift giving. I'm not anti-Christmas goodies. But I am telling you that you and I need to slow down And have our hearts spoken to. So do something. Close your eyes right where you are. Snow will not fall from the ceiling. Elves will not jump out from under your chairs. Just close your eyes. If you so desire, just take a deep breath. Lord, in just a moment of quiet, Would you help us to quiet our spirits, to quiet our minds? Help us not to think about all that we have yet to do. Help us, Lord, not to be consumed with activity and planning and running and doing. Help us to slow down. And, Lord, would you, would you... Through your word and by your very spirit, speak to us today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah says, speak tenderly. He says, speak to the heart. And and he leads with three interesting things. The first thing he tells the people of Judah is that warfare is ended. Not will be, it is ended. Now, the reason why this is so interesting is because they were not at war when this was written. And so this is a metaphor of their lives. It was a metaphor of what was going to happen in their lives. When you think warfare, I don't know exactly what you think of. For some, it would be grief. For other, sacrifice and struggle. And before you say, this has nothing to do with me, quiet your heart and listen. Does your life ever feel like a war zone? 
See, it does. Whether we're moving supplies to accomplish this, whether we're strategizing to know how we are going to overcome the latest obstacle that is before us. Perhaps we're in a season of sacrifice and grief and there may be sorrow and we may just be all up in arms. It is a very relevant metaphor for you and for me to hear that we need to hear in our hearts the warfare has ended because God is speaking to us today, comfort, comfort ye my people. See, through the one he would send, the warfare is ended. We just need to know it has ended. And we need to live like it is ended. He, he says that the warfare is ended, but then he also said iniquity is pardoned. The Hebrew word there for pardon is the word ratzah. The only reason I tell you that is because it's a fun word to say. But listen to what that word means. It, it was used in the satisfaction of a debt. It was used in reference to a bill that was paid. Now, you may not have been here last week, but I was preaching in Romans chapter 3. And in Romans chapter 3, we are told that Jesus is our propitiation. He's the one who satisfies the debt of sin that we all have. And some of you think, wow, that's pretty smart how you put these two together. I'm not that smart. God did that. I'd love to take credit for preaching in Romans 3 one week and Isaiah 40 the next, but the relevant message for you and for me is that our debt is paid and it was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born and even longer before he struggled up Calvary and was nailed to the cross for you and for me. But what the prophecy does tell us is that the warfare is ended and the debt has been paid. The third thing he said is that we've received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. He's speaking to his people Israel, his people, the kingdom of Judah, who'd gone their own way, and he says, you've suffered long enough, payment has been made, everything is covered. And then the prophecy transitions. And we read these words that sound so familiar. He says, there's a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This is the prophecy of one who would come to prepare the way of the Lord. You and I, living this side of all the prophecy and all the events of Jesus' life, know that this is in reference to John the baptizer. We know that because when we get to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Isaiah prophesied one would come. Jesus was born, and when his ministry was beginning, John went out into the wilderness and said, in my vernacular, y'all need to get ready. Because the Lord is coming. 
Isaiah said it this way, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. If you've ever been in the desert, you'll know those roads are not always straight. And more often than not, sand has blown over them. So we're to make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And that which is uneven, we are told, will become level and the rough places a plain. This describes the way a king would travel in that day. Before he left home, he would send a forerunner who would go and make sure the way was straight, the way was smooth, that the path could be passed, removing obstacles for his arrival. Unless you think this is irrelevant for you, I would remind you that the reason why the forerunner would come and the reason why the crooked way made straight and the valley raised up and the mountain brought down was because the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See, at this time of year... You and I have the wonderful opportunity to see the glory of the Lord. John told the crowds to get ready, one was coming. And Isaiah had already said, get ready, one was coming. And today I stand before you to bring a little bit of comfort by telling you one has already come. What you and I need to do now is to remove the barriers to his coming even closer. And you would say, well, I I don't have any barriers in my life. Oh, you lie. For we all have barriers in our life. I've already mentioned one. It is the busyness of Christmas. And all of you that keep a calendar have probably already declared, well, I just don't know how we're going to do all this. And if you're responsible for your family get-together, you may already be stressed about the cooking and the cleaning and the presents and the going and the doing. And in the midst of your busyness, there is great risk at missing the beauty of one who has come. So in our lives, we need to remove some of those barriers. For some others, it may not be busyness, it may be doubt. Very few people will raise a billboard and say, I doubt the Christmas message, but in the deep recesses of our hearts, some of us live as though we doubt. We're really not sure that that baby born that we sing and make all the fuss about can really help. Friend, I want to tell you that's a barrier to understanding the glory of the Lord. For some, it's not doubt, it's anger. You're just mad. You try to hide it, but your actions declare it. You're just mad. Somebody did this, somebody said that, somebody didn't do this or that, and you're mad. And life has been difficult, and you're frustrated, and you're angry, and for some, it's more hurt because life is not what you thought it would be, and at Christmas, you become so aware of that. 
For some, it's fear. It's a dry season. It is that desert that is described where the road is crooked and there are valleys and mountains and you wonder how in the world will I ever understand and appreciate the glory of the Lord? Well, we need to quit acting like our local municipalities because when the road gets rough in a local municipality, they'll patch the road. Have you ever noticed that? They'll come in and patch the road and try to make it just as nice as the original road, but it never is. It eventually hollows out a little bit, and what used to be a pothole is now a dip, and you're reminded every day there's a problem there. And in our lives, I think sometimes we believe we can patch our lives, but what we need is somebody to come in and make it all new. There is no better illustration than the chaos of our parking lot. I know I'm not wrong. I'm right. <laughs> and and y'all may think it's just as it is. We're stretching it out to learn spiritual lessons. Oh, <laughs> well, see, we had patched the parking lot for years. Did y'all know that? When the plumbing needed repaired, we'd cut a hole in it. We'd repair it, and then we'd patch it. We'd bring in folks to patch. And you would come on our parking lot. And it was an experience. We've made it even worse. But one day, it'll be smooth. And see, when we trust, this is horrible theology, when we trust in the great paver, I'm telling you, he'll smooth it out in our lives. Y'all do know I'm talking about more than the parking lot, don't you? <laughs> Please tell me y'all are with me that much to know I'm not really talking about a black top. I'm talking about the Lord. When, when those barriers are removed and you and I, with his help, can behold his glory. God became flesh. So he could be seen, understood by mankind. And if you and I will trust in him, there's comfort in his coming. There's also comfort in permanence. I can't camp out here too too much because it can be a depressing message, but we must hear it. Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8 says, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And the message is all flesh is grass and all its beauties like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our Lord will stand forever. Friend, I don't know what your favorite flower is. It may be a rose. It may be an iris. It may be a tulip. It may be I came to the end of the flowers I could name. But regardless of your favorite flower and the glorious beauty of that flower you know that that beauty does not last. 
You can do all that you know to do to preserve the beauty of a flower, but the beauty fades. So here's some comfort for you today this Christmas season. The Bible compares you and me to flowers and grass. And it says that we will pass. The beauty of flowers and grass, it's lovely, but it's brief. It's not eternal. And like it or not, the Bible says that we like the flowers and we like the grass will wither and fail and fade. But there is something eternal and it is the word of God. There is a permanence to the word of the Lord. And there should be comfort for you and for me to understand that. Because in a world where the things you and I are most familiar with passing away, we can find our hope in something that lasts forever. I just had a deck redone at my house. Y'all are welcome to come see it. I'm real happy with it. But guess what? In a few years... I'm going to have to do it again. Half of this building has a new roof. Did y'all know that? If y'all are on this side, y'all are in the new kingdom. <laughs> if y'all are on this side, you're in the old kingdom. If you're in the middle, y'all need to decide. <laughs> and eventually, we'll have a new roof from south to north and east to west, and it'll be great until it wears out and we have to replace it again. You know, the, the paving that I just told you about, it's going to be so nice, we're not going to let anybody drive on it for a while. <laughs> Why? Because the next generation is going to have to replace it. The things of this world that we are most familiar with pass away. That's what the Word's telling us. And say, well, why depress us like that? Well, because the Word is trying to get you to find value in the Word. Because when you get in the Word of God, you discover what is eternal. And it is the Word, and it is your soul. And God would have us turn some attention to our souls. And that leads me to the third thing, the comfort of His presence. If you're still in Isaiah chapter 40, and I hope you are because nobody said turn otherwise, then pick up in verse 9 with me where the Bible says, Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The presence of God. You know presence is very important. There are times when we don't need to say a word. We visit with those who are sick, not because we have some superpower to make them well, but just to let them know that we 
care about them. It's the ministry of presence. We visit those who've lost loved ones, not because we can make a huge difference in their lives, but the power of presence. Sometimes words are so small and presence is so big. And so the Bible tells us to go to a high mountain. It says that when you get to the high mountain, you should proclaim. You should lift your voice with strength. Go without fear and say, behold your God. He's come close so that you can behold him. Now the word behold here is more than just a passing glance. That's what I hope you'll hear from me today. The Bible does not say in your busyness and while you're running from thing to thing, glance over at the glory of God. It says, behold. It says to pause. It says to look. It says to consider. It says to look long enough to understand and discern. And when you and I pause to do this for God and really toward God... We learn a great deal. The Bible describes the Lord who is coming and says his reward is with him and his recompense before him. His recompense refers to the payment he is due. What payment is he due? Well, he did what God asked him to do. So there's his recompense. But his reward is with him. We live in a culture where everybody is rewarded. Y'all know that? I'm not going to step into that particular discussion. There are some who are pretty frustrated that everybody gets an award. But can I tell you that when you pause and you begin to look, you begin to behold the Lord whose reward is with him. What does that mean? It doesn't mean Jesus comes walking towards you with a present. It means that he is the reward himself. And when you look to him, you find in him the very reward. And our reward, we are told, will be our shepherd. The Bible says he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Gathering and caring and leading and protecting. Why? Because sheep need help. It will surprise some of you to know I'm not a shepherd. In the real sense of caring for lambs. But if you ever study sheep in regard to Scripture over and over and over and over again, everyone will tell you there is no animal on earth that needs guidance like a sheep. We need a shepherd. And the Bible describes a shepherd for us who will gently, lovingly, faithfully, effectively lead us. Now, friend, I'm not going to make promises to you that are not true. I hope you know at least that much about me. I will always tell you what I believe and discern from God's word to be true. But there is something I can tell you today that God will do for you. Number one, he will save you. If you'll come by faith in the salvation that is offered through Jesus, God will save you. 
The second thing that I can affirm to you today, though, is not only will God save you, but he will shepherd you. He will lead you. He will provide for you. He will get you where you need to be, and he'll even get you where you need to be in the method that is best. So let me pause and try to speak to your heart. For I stand today in an effort of hearing from God and speaking for God in the sense that Scripture tells us there is a shepherd. And he is ready to welcome you into peace and love and contentment and comfort. Why does that matter? It matters because the great prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 6, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. I don't have to raise my voice for you to understand the truth of that. You and I need look no further than the mirror in front of us. We go our own way. We hear this and we think, well, I know better. We, we, we have our plan. We have our desire. We have our ways. And you and I, like sheep, will wind up in some pasture where we will starve to death. Where we will get into trouble and we will be cast down and we cannot save ourselves. And yet we have this great shepherd who says, let me lead you. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, if anyone would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He's the good shepherd. And see, the good shepherd will lead us to the good pasture. The good shepherd will lead us to the good water. The, the good shepherd will provide the care that we need. And when we're injured and when we're broken and when we're bruised, he cares for us and he comforts us and he protects us and he leads us home. And that's what we all need. Is the shepherd to lift us up in his arms and carry us home. We need a shepherd for our souls. So here's the great message of comfort. You can trust the good shepherd. If you'll but trust him today. Would you bow your heads? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, before your mind and heart rushes forward to the things of the day and the things of the afternoon and the things of the season, would you take another deep breath? And Lord, my prayer is for those who are gathered here today that you would help them remove the barriers in their lives that keep them from understanding the promise of comfort. The comfort of the permanence of your word. The comfort of your presence, the comfort of the payment that's been made for our sin. And just because I know what 
Life is like myself, Lord. I know there are some that hear this message today in person, online, later in a podcast whose life is as if they are at war. There is great hurt and sorrow. There's chaos. There's confusion. There's effort. There's busyness. There's fatigue. Lord, your word says the warfare has ended. And perhaps for someone today, it will be the cessation of the fighting. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you speak into the hearts of those who need a shepherd for their souls, a Savior, Christ the Lord. Your prophecy was declared as if it had been accomplished and we stand today acknowledging it has been accomplished through your son Jesus. And if there's one today who needs to trust him as Savior, I pray you'll give him the courage to do so. And Lord, the rest of us forbid it that we would move through this and not have you speak to us. Because those of us who walk with you sometimes really mess up. And those of us who know you even wander off from time to time. So would you remind all of us that we need a shepherd? And in those areas where we need shepherding, would you help us to come back and trust you? Forbid it, Lord, that we would just go through the motions and be done. And Lord, help us to hear from you. In our lives, shepherd us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.